Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to amplify and share the stories of people from marginalized and communities of color doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. I'm your host, Jessica Yanez. In today's episode, I get to speak with Wendy Amara. Wendy is an accomplished transformational strategy coach, speaker, trainer, and best-selling author. She has coached thousands of individuals over the past 15 years into reaching powerful goals for their lives. Her results-oriented, no-holding-back approach has clients producing extraordinary results. She particularly loves coaching ambitious women of color who want to step into elevating their lives. She teaches women how to balance all the moving parts of life and live authentically and energetically, taking courageous action. So grab your glass of wine and join us for the chisme. for joining me today for some wine and some chisme. How are you? I'm well. Thank you, Jessica, for having me. I'm so excited to be here to share with you guys and, you know, talk chisme and drink some good wine. Yes, I am so excited to have you here. And I'm going to explain to people why I'm so excited. Like, I have been looking forward to this all week, even before, actually, before you, I officially asked you to come on to the podcast. I was like, I need, she's somebody I need to have. And then there is an experience that I had with you that I was like, okay, this woman needs to come on the podcast. And I know you know what that is, but not everybody else does. So we'll get into that. But before we get into the chisme, yes, we need to get to the wine. So please tell everybody what you're drinking today. Yes. So I am drinking a Shiraz. It's a 2017 Shiraz. Love Shiraz. I'm a red girl. Like I love red. Ditto. That's my thing. Can't even do a white. Sometimes rare. I'm going to have to introduce it because I'm the same thing. I always, I feel like it's become almost a running joke where I say I can't drink white, but then I'm like, oh, this is a good white. So yeah, you've been, in, I can do like Moscato's. I can do like, you know, a, a dessert wine, but like a really dry one doesn't work. Oh, see, I'm the opposite. I have to have the dry ones. I don't like the sweet ones. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I love real reds. Um, so this is called Unsung Hero, Unsung Hero, and it's actually a wine of South Africa. How cool is that, right? I love that. Yes. It's totally different continent, <laughs> Africa continent. And normally I'm, I'm a big uh, proponent of wines from South America. And of course, in, here in California, and then the French wines and Spanish wines. I actually lived in Spain for a while and studied there and drank red wine every day, like, you know, like it was water. Riojas are one um, of my favorite wines. Yeah, Spain, yeah. But this is great because this is South African and it's actually really, really good. It's a Shiraz, so it's very, it's nice. Nice. It's 
So we are keeping with the international theme because I am drinking a red wine as well, but my wine is from Greece. Wow. Okay. Love yeah. It. So I hope, I'm sure I'm going to butcher this name, but I'm going to try very hard not to. It's a red wine called Nausa Sinomavro. Sinom, that sounds like it could be Greek, right? Sinomavro, 2017. It's like if you're somebody who likes burgundy wine, it's like a Greek burgundy wine. Ooh. Okay, so it's like going to be really pretty rich. So this is what I looked it up and it's, this is what it says. It says, legend has it that Semel, mother, mother of Dionysus, the Greek god of wine and fertility, called the area, which is Naosa, home. So apparently it pairs well with a wide variety of dishes such as barbecue, spicy chicken, pork roast, rich lamb dishes, or anything where a rich tomato sauce is involved. And it says it even pairs well with grilled tuna. So this is really, yeah, right? It's kind of, it's, I feel like it's like a deep, it might be a deepo, deeper, deepo, deeper Pinot Noir because, you know, Pinot Noir goes with a lot of things. So this seems to go with a lot of things, but it just specifically said a grilled tuna, not any other seafood. Yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, I traveled to Greece in, when, when I lived in Europe for a little while and I remember they're big on tuna they're big on sardines. I love sardines. Do you really? Yeah, it's a rarity, right? We don't normally, I grew up eating sardines a little bit here yeah. or there. Uh, me and my, well, one of my sisters, we would always eat them, especially me with my dad all the time. Really? Yeah, because it's a unique thing and stuff. Yeah. Well, salud. Salud with our red wines. I love it. I'm going to take it. a taste. Woo! Ooh, yeah, that is definitely like a burgundy, but it's, it feels like a little lighter. It does. Mine is kind of a uh, heavier, it's a heavier kind of Shiraz. This one it tastes a little peppery. I swear, I'm either a, just a total lush or I just like every wine, but you know, <laughs> I'm either a lush or I, or I have people help me pick really good wines. So I actually got this wine. I've been trying to support local businesses and there is a wine bar a block away from me called Whetstone Winery. And they have food as well, but he has a really good variety of wines and he's the one who helped me. So another interview I did was a wine from Georgia, the country, Georgia. So okay, not the city, yeah. Not, not the state, a the very state, dry yeah. white wine. And then I have another one that is waiting that I haven't tried yet from Slovenia. Of Ooh, all I'd be interested in that. So I'm super excited to try all these wines. It's very exciting for me to be able to try other things. So that made me start thinking because I average between seven and ten dollars. I usually get my wines at Trader Joe's. So the fact that I'm expanding, yeah, the fact that I'm expanding is a huge thing. Um, So I'm excited to like really kind of expand my palate and let people know a little bit more. Trying to research the wines a little bit more, letting them know a little bit more. But I'm excited. But now that we've gone through the wine, yes. It is time to get to the chisme. Yes. Yes. So you and I met through an Amigas group by We All Grow Latina. And I knew I wanted to have you on the podcast pretty quickly. But 
what solidified that was you lead a group every Monday, a holding hands circle, talking about different things. And this particular one, it was actually, I think the first one that I had joined, the first holding hands circle I had joined, and it was about motivation. And you specifically asked like our group, and I think it was close to 40 women, you asked our group, what are we having a hard time being motivated in? And I started to, I raised my hand and I start to explain that being a super extroverted person, I get my energy from other people. And since there's no people out, it's been hard to continue to be motivated. And I start going into this and I completely lose my shit. I completely lose my shit. I completely break down crying. Obviously it was not expected because who wants to do that in front of like 40 people on a, on a Zoom call? But it was one of those things where we, you walk through it. And then let me tell you, and I didn't say anything beyond that because at that, like there were other people that were having things and you addressed everyone, but I felt like I was kind of this, I felt so, normally I would not feel embarrassed, but I felt so embarrassed because at that moment I felt like because I broke down, like legit, you can, you, I know you were there, obviously. I truly did. Like I went into full ugly cry mode. And I felt like that whole hour kind of revolved around me. And I felt so bad and so horrible, even though you were still addressing everybody else's things. I was so embarrassed at that moment. But at the same time, when I look back and reflect on that, I was like, I saw so many other people cry and I felt like it was a moment that everybody needed. Like they just needed one person to break down. So they felt permission to break down. So that's when I knew I couldn't wait to have you on. I was like, okay, I need to get her on immediately. Thank you. Yeah, no, and I so appreciate that moment of you breaking down and being, you were just being real. You were being real. You were being vulnerable. Um, and I think we need it. We need safe spaces like that to be able to really experience, especially right now, right? With everything that's going on with COVID-19 and being, um, you know, almost like locked in our houses, right? It yes. feels very different from what, obviously what normal life was like. And so I think you were just expressing what a lot of women were feeling. And I really acknowledge you for the courage it took, right? To allow those feelings to come up, right? Because you could have just been like, oh, let me just stuff it in like you've done, you know, maybe so many other times. We all stuff it in so many other times because we want to you know, look good. We want to save space. We uh, save face. Sorry. We mm -hmm. want to be able to come off as like, I'm just like everyone else on this call, which is holding it all together. But that's not what this circle is about. Right. And that's actually not what my work is about as a coach. It's about really getting to the vulnerability of what's going on underneath. And I felt you going there gave permission to everyone else to allow themselves to, to be like, okay, what's really going on under the surface? Because all of us are feeling that way. All of us are feeling um, a little bit, you know, depressed, a little bit stuck, a little bit in PTSD mode, uh, you know, dealing with like the shock of how much our lives have changed. And we were talking about motivation and losing motivation to do things. And, you know, that's when people started bringing up all the things that are coming up for them. Yeah. So I appreciate that. I think it helped the group go deeper. 
so many women acknowledged you, right? There were so many messages, oh my gosh. so many chats of women saying, I feel the same way, or thank you so much. And then on our circle, on the We All Grow Amigas um, circle holding hands, there were comments there too. So it opened up the space, um, which is what, why I do the work that I do, is to provide people with the space to have exactly that experience. So thank you for letting me, you know, lead you through that and, and for having you actually get vulnerable and open. Cause I just asked the questions, but you have to make a choice. I had no idea that was going to come serious. <laughs> and I live by myself. So, and I know like people that have listened to more than one episode know that, but it was just like, even by myself, it wasn't, I, it was, I wasn't allowing myself to fully get that. So the fact that it came out at that time, I was just like, ay, 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 en serio, like right now, but it's been for me a lifesaver. And since then I have felt so much better. I mean, there have been moments where it's been like oh, a little bit, but I needed, I didn't, I don't think I, I even realized how much I needed that because I feel like since then I've been just kind of able to deal with everything so much better, but I digress because I have other questions for you. <laughs> you, so let me get, kind of just get into it. You're Guatemalan American and you grew up in the San Fernando Valley. You're a Valley girl. Yes, I'm a Valley girl, but I'm a Latina Valley girl, right? Yes. So the Latinas will understand what I mean by that. Exactly. Because yeah. there's a Valley Valley and then there's like, there's like Sherman Oaks and I didn't grow up in Sherman Oaks <laughs> or Studio City, right? I grew up in Sun Valley, which is like literally on the other side of the railroad tracks of Burbank. Like literally the railroad tracks. <laughs> and if people that are of our generation understand, because we're Xennials, right? We're Xennials. Regardless if you really related or not, seem clueless. Remember when she gets held up? She's like, I'm in Sun Valley. That was oh my God, yes, that's my town. That's my town. <laughs> but the liquor store she was at was like down the street from my house. Yeah. <laughs> That was my call to fame. But there is such a huge Mexican presence in the LA area, just in general. In general, Latino presence. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Were you able to find other people to connect with, with your Guatemalan roots outside of your family in those areas? 100%. Absolutely. So although, you know, the majority of the Central American community is like near MacArthur Park. So like, you know, getting closer to like downtown and, and that area of but my, I grew up really proud to be Guatemalan. Like, uh, it's kind of funny when I watch movies like um, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the dad and the yeah. dad's like, he thinks the Greeks are like, you know, the most intelligent human beings ever on earth. And they invented everything, right? Yeah. And the index solves everything. <laughs> That's what I was yeah. thinking, Linda. Yeah. So, <laughs> so my dad was like the Guatemalan version of that, right? So we grew up with like, oh, the Mayans are are you know, the highest form of intelligence ever known on this planet, Wendy, you are a descendant of geniuses. And so he would just go on and on about, you know, the Mayans invented the zero. Imagine if we didn't have the number zero, what would we do? <laughs> so I grew up thinking, and I think this is part of where my confidence comes from, because people ask me, like, where are you? I don't, yeah, I don't know where I get the confidence from. But my dad just taught me that because I was a descendant of the Mayans, and we were, we were from Guatemala. My parents were born in Guatemala. They, they came here in the 1970s. Me and my brother were born here in the late 1970s, right? And they bought our, our little house in Sun Valley where they still live to this day in 1984. Like I remember it was around the, the 
the big um, Olympics. The Olympics came to Oh, yeah, the LA Olympics. LA Olympics, and it was a big deal, right? And, uh, of course, we couldn't afford to go actually see one of the Olympic shows, but we, we went to the outside of, like, I think it was Poly Pavilion, where they were doing, like, a gymnastics thing or something, and we just went outside and, like, watched people go in and out of the building. My mom wanted us to be involved in some way with what was happening. It was a great time in my life. So yes, I grew up very proud to be Guatemalan. My dad was very involved in the Guatemalan community. He was part of this thing called the AFG, which is the Asociación de Fraternidades de Guatemala, where like all the different districts of Guatemala were, were uh, represented, right? Because there's different like states, there's different districts. There's a sweet lad. So I just grew up being very proud. And then my grandma pretty much raised us because both my parents worked full time. And my grandma was just old school Guatemalan, right? She had grown up on like a ranch, and, you know, we had chickens, we had a rooster in our suburban, you know, Sun Valley house, right? We were that one family that had the roosters in the backyard. Which is funny because now, like, people that are trying to be, like, eco-friendly want that so bad. Yes. And now, you're like, dude, I grew up with that. Yeah, I grew up with that in Sun Valley. Like, it was crazy. But, you know, that's, and I went to Catholic school. The Catholic school was down the street. And, you know, so I had very much a Latino um, empowered experience in my life. Yeah. And I love proud. hearing that. I love hearing that because I feel like so many of us have, especially when either you're first generation or you're second, even third generation. Well, I would say mostly it's like first and then maybe, and second, third, I feel like you start getting a little bit more removed from that. You were just kind of like, where do I fit? What do I do? So to have that, especially being Guatemalan and being in LA, not having that as a majority to truly find your quote unquote people. Yes, we're all part of the Latino community, but still all of the different countries are still a little bit different. It's still your, your people. Here in LA, of course, everybody, everybody does automatically think you're Mexican and that's okay with me. Like I dated a lot of Mexican men. So I was happy with being, you know, people thinking I was Mexican, but there is a distinction, right? Guatemala is a little, it's a slightly different culture. It's a slightly different country. Like we only eat black beans. We don't eat any brown beans. An enchilada in Guatemala is very different from an enchilada. What is an enchilada in Guatemala? Enchilada in Guatemala is a, is like a cold salad. It's actually a tostada where you put on top of it, like the pollo and like a salad. It's like a salad. Really? The cold actually meal. Yeah. And then wow. our families are very different too. Tamales are in plantain leaves, mm-hmm. and the masa is completely different from the from the masa that is made in the Mexican tamales. So it's it's a little it's interesting. But I just want to share this one story with you because this is hilarious. I always remember this when I was at because I, I went to college at UCLA, and I was at UCLA in an upper division class, and we had to do this um, project. It was a sociology project, and they broke us up into groups, and they asked us to share where we were from, like our cultural background, right? So. I talked about being from Guatemala. And this one girl says to me, she's like, Wendy, you're from Guatemala? That's funny. You don't look Asian. <laughs> are, you, are you kidding me? But obviously I know you're, and you're just, thought it was hilarious. I was like, what do you mean Asian? And she's like, yeah, isn't that a like island off the South Pacific? And I'm like, no. Oh, Lordy. You know, you did. It makes me wonder, how did you get to UCLA? Right. It was like an upper division class. Like, by this time, we were, like, seniors. So it was hilarious to me. I thought it was so funny that I was like, oh, my God, people really don't know where Guatemala is. Like, they And have- for people that don't know, it's literally Mexico, Guatemala. 
Right, it's right below. Right <laughs> like, below Mexico. Like, right. Between, yeah, we're between Mexico and El Salvador. Yeah. That's a whole other population also, right? El Salvador. And there were a lot of influx of immigrants from Guatemala and El Salvador in the 1980s because of the civil wars that were happening in Guatemala and El Salvador, right? More so than there were Mexican immigrants. There were more immigrants from uh, Central America, also Nicaragua, all the Central American countries because we experienced a lot of civil war. Right. Late 1970s, early 1980s, yeah. So now I proudly tell everyone, so Guatemala, different country from Mexico, we're right below. <laughs> but we're actually a different country. Yes. People ask me what part of Mexico is that in? And I'm like, no, it's a different country. But even within Mexico, like the farther south you go, yeah, it becomes very, yeah. very different. And not, I mean, I still want to be able to travel there and everything, but people don't realize that we live, I live in San Diego. I'm very, I'm 20 minutes from the border, right? 15, 20 minutes from Baja. But even Baja to Monterrey to Cabo, like there's, it's very, very different. Just like states within the U.S., there's states in Mexico, and wherever you go, it's, there are very regional traditions, very different things, but like the region that borders Guatemala, you have more in like people in that are me Mexicans have more in common with Guatemalans in that area than they do with people from Baja. Yes, there's actually a region in, in Guatemala that borders Belize. And Belize is a country that oftentimes gets overlooked, right? But it's, it's actually, uh, an, it was conquered by the Africans. So it's very African country. So there's, there's this little town called Livingston. And it's literally Latino Jamaica, Guatemalan Jamaica, Mexico really? Jamaica. Yeah, it's Jamaican. Like, if you look at the people, it looks like you're in Jamaica. Dreads. And then they're just speaking Spanish to you, though. That's it's so all crazy. It's I love Guatemala. that. I've never been to Belize and I want to go so oh, bad. Gorgeous country. Just a lot of untouched land and, and, and affordable. Yes. Okay. So. Well, you don't need to convince <laughs> me. I'm telling you. So just from my experience with you, were you that friend? Being, you know, you're a life and business coach and you have this just really wonderful way of posing questions to people that make them think and obviously ugly cry. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> have them go deep. Yes, have them go deep. Like were down the walls. <laughs> were you friend in middle school and high school that everybody came, came to for advice or did you kind of want to stay away from la drama? Yeah, no, I was not the go-to person for advice. <laughs> um, not at all, not at all. Um, so I was, you know, it's, it's interesting. I grew up very sheltered when I went to Catholic school because I grew up in Catholic school and elementary school. And then I really wanted to go to public school because I had one friend that went to public school. And in public school, you could take all these electives and it just felt like the world opened up to you in public school. Like there was all these options. In Catholic school, you were, you know, 22 people in one classroom, right? It was very small. Mm -hmm. In public school, you were like, you know, 30 kids in one classroom and you had six different classes a day. So it's just people. And I've always been a people person. Like I've always been a big talker, friendly, always wanted to make friends and be very social. That's what I remember from, from the time when I was young. But I wanted to go to public school. So I convinced my parents and the way I convinced my parents was that the public school was going to let me skip eighth grade. So I actually skipped a grade. I went from seventh grade in a very sheltered Catholic school 
to ninth grade. Oh my gosh. At Sun Valley Junior High School, uh, which is similar to an inner city school in a lot of ways. Okay. Meaning it was, you know, there were gangs, there was, uh, it was a whole nother culture for me. And I was not ready for that socially in, in any way, shape or form. I now look back at it and I'm like, what were my parents thinking? But I was really good at like getting them to do what I wanted. <laughs> so I knew that this does not shock me at all. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was trying to tell them that academically, this will be the best for me. Right. Cause I'll get to skip a grade and all this, but socially what that did for me is it really set me up for not feeling confident. And so I was the little kid that got bullied. I got bullied a lot in ninth grade because there was just a lot of things about life that I didn't know. I was not the cool kid. I was the underdog. I was the, the kid that, you know, people either didn't notice or if they noticed, um, would make fun of because I didn't know how to do certain things that all the other kids knew how to do. They, you know, it was this whole world that opened up to me. So no, I was not the go-to person for advice. In fact, most of my friends would say, Back then, I think they would just be like, Wendy, like, I hadn't found my own voice. And it really wasn't until my 20s, 30s, and 40s, and now in my 40s, that I have really found my voice. So I came to coaching from a place of being lost and feeling depressed. I was actually diagnosed as bipolar when I was in my early 20s. Wow. Um, Yeah, and actually went on medication and all of that. So I was lost for many years. I was depressed. I, you know, I had boyfriends and I had relationships and I would try this and I would try that and nothing seemed to make me feel happier. Have like, what do you feel or have you discovered what the core of, of feeling lost during that time was? You know, from, I think for me, the feeling of being lost was I didn't feel like I had that core self-esteem. It's really the self-esteem, even though I had grown up with you know, parents that really believed in me. And I knew in my core, I believed that I was a smart girl, that I knew I had something to contribute, but I didn't seem to fit in. I always felt like I was like a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. And there, I was around a bunch of round holes. Like they just got it or they spoke a language that I didn't speak. Mm-hmm. I always felt a little bit off, different, just different. I didn't want to do the traditional thing. Even when I did the traditional thing, like went to college and went to grad school and got the good job and all that, still didn't feel like I fit in. It was not my gig. Didn't, I didn't want to commute every day. I didn't want to, like I wanted to work from home. I just wanted, like I had a different um, vision for my life. And, but I was trying to fit into the, to what society and my parents and other people around me were telling me I had to do. So that's how I felt the disconnect. I really felt the disconnect. I didn't have the confidence or the courage yet in my teens and twenties to really own what I wanted to really say, no, I'm going to do things differently. I don't have to do things that way just because society's telling me or my parents are telling me or other people want me to do things a certain way. I don't have to go down that route. I can make my own rules and still be successful, right? Making my own rules. So I think for me, I just felt really lost. I felt really lost. You know, there were some issues also with energy levels throughout my life. Um, When my oldest daughter was born, she had a diagnosis of, she has a metabolic disorder and it's a diagnosis of a carnitine deficiency, which affects energy levels. And they figured out through genetic testing that it came from me. 
So there was something genetically off with me also in terms of energy levels. I've never had the same amount of energy as kind of the average person, let's say. Which is interesting now I look back, there must have been some things going on with me physically even that weren't addressed, you know, when I was younger. Um, and those are probably things that people didn't even know because every, every day there's always new things that they're learning about the body and levels and mineral deficiencies and all of these things. You talk about kind of doing the things that you felt you were supposed to do, that your parents wanted you to do, that society. So you go to UCLA, which is, you know, I think I've talked about in other episodes, but it's kind of like the holy grail for Latino parents in the LA or in, even in Southern California. Your kids go to UCLA. You're the greatest parent in the world, <laughs> right? So what was it that pulled you towards UCLA? Was it that? Was it kind of like that holy grail type of thing? And then also made you decide you wanted to major in sociology? Yes, so I was a transfer student to UCLA, and I think that's really important because in high school, again, I felt a little lost. I didn't make the best decisions, but I'm grateful for my high school experience. I'm actually still really good friends with two of my best friends from high school to this day because it was such a growth experience where I started stepping into owning my uniqueness and what I really wanted for my life, right? But I, academically, I didn't do as well. Even though I knew I had the capability to do good, I still was like, you know, not disciplined, not going to class every day, not doing my homework, all that kind of stuff. So I ended up at a community college. Thank goodness for the community college because it saved my life. Uh, because it gave me those two years I needed to mature, to get my act together, to uh, make some really big life decisions. And I knew I, I always knew I had the capability to make it to a really good school. I just hadn't made it a priority and I wasn't disciplined enough. So during those two years, I really got myself disciplined and I applied to numerous schools. I got into all of them. I decided to go to UCLA. You know, honestly, one of the main reasons was because I was like, worst case scenario, I can commute from home. So it was like a money decision at the end of the day. I was thinking about the cost, right? So I was like, if I can't afford to live, you know, on campus or near the dorm or with a, you know, apartment off campus, I can always commute from home. So that's why I ended up choosing UCLA. And I ended up studying sociology because I knew I wanted to do something that improved society in some way. I had this instinct that I was a change agent. I wanted to, you know, produce change, create um, experiences for people to step into improving their lives. But at the time, I had no idea that this thing called coaching even existed. And I was aware enough to know I didn't want to be a therapist because I didn't major in psychology, right? So I knew enough to know I don't want to be somebody who necessarily is, is you know, um, processing people and doing like therapy work. But I also, you know, don't know exactly what, how I want to change the world. I thought at one point maybe I wanted to go into politics. So that's why I chose sociology because it was an interesting subject to me. I knew I would like studying it. That is one thing that I've always known. I have to like what I'm doing or I'm not going to do it. I think when people think of entrepreneurs and everything, they're like, oh, how do you do it? Because even I was always that person. Oh, I can't be an entrepreneur. I can't be. And now I look at kind of all of the things that I'm doing and I'm like, oh crap, I kind of, I guess I am an entrepreneur because I, I think it's when you find the things that you love, like sometimes you just stumble in it. You just, 10 years ago, podcasts were not even a thing. 
And now for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And how would I know that 10 years ago when this wasn't even truly a platform or anything? So it's, you know, I think it's so important to realize that sometimes you just don't, again, it's that square, you know, square peg trying to fit in a round hole and you just don't find the right fit at the right time. And eventually you do, and it's okay, like if it's not right away. You eventually graduate with your with your degree there, and then you end up getting your master's in urban planning, specializing in social policy planning. Can you tell us exactly what that is and how that affects people's lives on debt? Because I mean, I would imagine you were saying you were thinking about going into politics, so I would think that this would kind of fit into that, right? Yeah. Well, at the time I was thinking I was going to go into nonprofits, working in nonprofits, right? So um, I'd done a little bit of work in the world of politics and had seen some of the behind the scenes world of politics and had decided that was not going to be the place I was going to fit in or feel really great about. So I decided I wasn't going to really delve into politics. I was going to work in the nonprofit arena because that's what nonprofits do. They help people, right? And that's what I wanted to do. So I ended up um, doing uh, a master's in urban planning, which I loved, and I met some great people, and then ended up working for a really big nonprofit in, in the health world, and got what I thought was my dream job, right? It was a director position for Southern California. I was in charge of all these programs for Southern California, and I thought this was like supposed to be it for me. You know, I, I was doing exactly what my parents had told me to do, which was get a good job, and Things like health insurance were really important to my parents. You know, as an immigrant family, stability and anything that would, you know, bring in stability was really important to them. So they always put in my head, you've got to get a job with really good health insurance. Okay. So this had good health insurance. My dad was working for the same company he had worked for for, you know, 20 years back then. Now he's, he just retired from the company. He stayed there for 35 years. This was back in the day when there were pensions. So for my parents, it was really important to have stability, to stick with a good company, to get good benefits, right? To have things like um, time, paid time off or, or sick pay. Those were the things that they were concerned about for me. So I got this job and I did not like it. I liked it at the beginning and I liked it when I had projects that were really exciting and interesting. But ultimately, the day-to-day -day grind the day-to-day -day grind of like commuting to uh, work every day in LA traffic and being there for nine hours or eight hours. And then there was night meetings and there was weekend events and there was volunteering at this thing. And there was the board meetings, which were oftentimes at night. So it was all this work. When I really mapped out how many hours I was working, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm making no money. I'm working like 60 hours a week. And the thing is, is people don't realize, or if you don't live in the Southern California area, and I, I know I've talked about this in other episodes, it's legit. We don't map things by miles because mileage means nothing. If you, if especially if you're still in the LA area, and if you're still in the Valley, in Sun Valley, right, and you're trying to travel close to downtown, that could easily take an hour and a half. Yeah, or two if it's a Friday. Yeah. And if it's not, and if there's no traffic, that's probably like a 20 minute drive, which there's never no traffic. But just the fact that 
if they're actually wet, well, I, right now there's no traffic. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most positive things about COVID-19, right, is like, there's no traffic. So, yeah. It's, it's, so, it's great. so you mentioned that at some point you lived in Spain. Was that, when you went to Spain, what do you think you brought away? Like, how long were you there? I'm imagining a semester, but what do you think the most valuable experience you came away from living abroad was? So for me, it was the best time of my life. One of the best times of my life. It was, you know, living in another country and seeing the possibility of, it's kind of like the whole world opened up to me. The whole world opened up to me. Literally. Literally. Yeah. You know, because growing up in LA, we didn't travel much. We traveled to Guatemala. That's where we went every two years <laughs> for Christmas. To nice. see my abuelita and my tias and all of that. And that's it. We never went anywhere else. It's interesting as it's probably the experience of a lot of immigrant kids. I wasn't an immigrant kid, but th that was basically our, at the end of every vacation, we were in Vegas. Is that where and your family is from? Yeah. No, my family is not from Vegas. Oh. My parents like to gamble. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, here's some money. Take your sisters to Circus Circus. Like we would stay at yes, Circus Circus. I those days circus. and it would be like here's some money meet us here so we can yeah. eat as a family we'll see you later <laughs> Daddy, let me take off exactly exactly we didn't travel any like and if we did we went to like disneyland or like i remember one year we went totally. to Yosemite or something like that and went camping but for the most part i hadn't really traveled and i knew that was something that i wanted to do so yes it was a study abroad program it was a semester best time of my life and i chose spain because i already spoke spanish so i knew i could get through <laughs> Whatever I needed to get through, it was going to be fine. And they found a host family that actually had the same last name as me. Isn't that cool? Estevez. That is cool. Estevez family. So I stayed with the Estevez. Estevez, are you related to Martin Sheen, yeah. Charlie Sheen, and Emilio? Right. We think somewhere in the back, you know, because his real name is Ramon Estevez. Okay? Yes, it is. That's right. So the, the Estevez family. So we think somewhere in the background, yes, we both have the same my great-grandfather was from Spain and so you know it's all we're all interconnected right and uh, I do like to say my cousin Charlie my cousin Carlos <laughs> what is what that what you really want to call it I mean I would almost yeah. want to rather I'd rather claim Emilio and that's true and I'd rather claim Emilio <laughs> <laughs> you're right Emilio Estevez yeah so yeah so that's how I ended up it was the best time of my life because I was on my own completely doing things by myself in a whole nother country what it gave me was confidence in my ability to be able to live in another country by myself with nobody else. I mean, I had classmates, but you know, we met that first day uh, when we showed up in Spain. And then this beautiful gift called traveling the world and having these new experiences. And we went everywhere. I mean, we would rent a car on the weekends and we would drive to Portugal. We would drive to, I went to every part of Spain, Sevilla, Granada, San Sebastián, all different areas. So the north, the south, Barcelona, one of my favorite cities in the world, which I've been to twice. I love Barcelona. But being in Europe, there's so many places where you can experience totally different languages and totally different cultures. And I think it's so important just to open up your mind to be able to do that. I wish, I wish that was required for everybody. I wish I was able to do it as, as quote unquote progressive as my parents were. There were still a lot of things that we just we never did. So 
when, at what point was it, were you still in college? I know you said you figured out during this lost period of time, this period of feeling like you didn't fit in is kind of what ended up leading you to, to coaching, to becoming a coach. What was that point? What was the thing that kind of clicked in you where you were, or did you get a life coach that made you realize there's other people like me that I can help lead? What was that transition to kind of make like the light bulb go off for you on that? Yeah. So it started with a really bad breakup from an ex-boyfriend who I had been with and had tried to stay with while I was in Europe, but we had broken up. And then, you know, and of course, while I was in Spain and Europe, I had some fun and then, you know, he found out about some of that fun. You were out of the country. It I doesn't was out of the count. Country. I don't think it counts, right? And I was in my 20s, right? <laughs> this is the time when you just, you know, you make your life decisions. Right. It was, I don't, I don't actually regret any of it. It was, <laughs> I love that. I love that you don't regret any of that. And yeah, none of it, happy. because, you know, now I'm married with kids and I get the, you know, the difference in life. Like, enjoy your life. If you are free, enjoy the freedom, go out there, live your life, travel, have experiences, have new experiences, right? Uh, take risks. Absolutely. I think it's, it was a great time in my life. So what happened is uh, through the process, I went through a really bad breakup and that triggered a really bad depression. Like the kind of depression where you don't get out of bed for five days for anything. Like you don't get out of bed for five days to eat or to shower or nothing. Like where it's to the point where my mom was calling other people to show up at my house to pull me out of bed because they were that concerned that either I was going to do something to myself or they were like, what's wrong with Wendy, right? Like what's going on? But the depression was just the trigger that really created this awareness in me that, okay, I really need to get some help here. So my cousin at the time had done this training, this program. He had done this program through a company called MITT which I describe it to people as like similar to like a Tony Robbins kind of training, right? And he was like, Wendy, listen, I have this free ticket for this event. You need to go. You just need to go to this training. You need to show up next Wednesday, blah, blah, blah. He made it very easy for me to just show up. He was like, just go. You need to get some help and maybe this will help you. And I had never heard of self-development work. I had never experienced it, right? I had heard of traditional therapy and I had heard of like, healing kind of stuff because there was like a curandera that my mom would go to sometimes and we had tried that with me at one point and but I didn't realize there was this whole world called personal development world where you could work on yourself and it didn't look like the traditional ways to, to work on yourself so I went to the training and I fell in love with the work and I really think the trainings you know in some ways saved my life because I think I would have kept trying to fit into the traditional model of what I was supposed to be doing. I was supposed to be working and um, getting a good job and liking my good job. And then I was supposed to do all these traditional things. And I was, that just wasn't me. It wasn't fitting with my heart and my spirit. My spirit and my heart were telling me, this is not the life you're supposed to have. And then that would depress me, right? And so it was hard. Uh, But then I found these trainings and I fell in love with the work. So I went to the first training. I went to the second training. I went to the third training. By the time I did the leadership program, I was like, this is the work I'm supposed to be doing for my life. So I actually got hired by the company and worked for the company for a couple of years and started learning about coaching, life coaching. And what was life coaching? How could we transform people's lives through these tools and skills that I learned? 
practicing, you know, this new way of living. It really is kind of a new way of living, almost like learning a new language that you then put into your day-to-day -day life. And it's absolutely the reason I do all the work that I do now. I went on to work for other companies and I went on to start my own company as a coach and start my own coaching practice. But it all stemmed from that conversation with my cousin who was like, listen, you're really depressed. <laughs> I'm worried about you. Here, I have a free ticket. In fact, if you wouldn't have said it was free, I probably would have been like, no, I'm not going to pay a thousand dollars to go sit right. in some room with some people that are going to, you know, think they know me and, you know, that whole thing of, especially in Latino culture, we don't need help. That's for like rich people or people who have money. No. And that's such a gift that he recognized that in you and to be able to, to do that. Where do you think most people fall short when it comes to mindset? You've been there, you understand that, but I feel like there's something, sometimes a commonality there. Obviously everybody's very specific, but generally, where do you feel like people come up short when it comes to that? I think it comes down to personal responsibility for our lives. One of the main distinctions in my life that I learned going through the trainings and then also practicing self-development work every day in my life, right? Like living the work that I teach, right? Is that I take personal responsibility for everything in my life. That also includes the good, by the way, everything that is great that happens in my life. I take responsibility. I say, I and you tell that. us to take responsibility because yes. you asked me something and you're like, who is responsible? And I was like, and I totally didn't even say me. I'm like, oh, well, so-and-so checked up on me. So, and you're like, you're the one that's responsible. Yes, it's you. You're creating it all. You're creating all of the results in your life. Everything, the good and the bad, right? But the bad, we're willing to take responsibility for oftentimes. Something bad happens, we go into self-beat up or we look at, okay, where did I miss that? Or how did I forget to do that? We go into some sort of awareness around it. But the good, we just say, well, it was so-and-so did this for me. And you know, this other person, yeah. <laughs> so true. Other people credit, but you get to take credit for, for it all. But that also includes when you fall short and things don't happen. Yeah. And I've learned to do it not from a place of guilt or shame, because I don't really believe guilt is valuable as a feeling or an emotion or a thought. It just doesn't serve me in my life. So I try to stay away from guilt. Although being a mom is a whole nother kind of guilt. But uh, I tend to, to come from a place of responsibility for the negative things from a place of empowerment and ownership. So if I created this result and it didn't work for me, I don't like the result. Okay, how do I change it? How do I create a different result? What can I think differently? What can I do differently to create another result? But what that ultimately does, and I think this is the mindset piece that you asked me about that's missing with most people, is that ultimately that brings me back to, I'm creating everything in my life all the time. First, it starts with my thoughts because everything starts with a thought. So I'm creating the results in my life with my thoughts, with my actions, with my feelings, with what I choose to do, with what I don't choose to do, with what I put my attention on, with what I create boundaries around. I'm creating my life, no one else. So no one else is responsible. People may have damaged me, people may have victimized me, people may have done things to me, but ultimately it's what I do with those things that leads to the results in my life. So amazing, if I'm in control then ultimately, I can create whatever I want. 
How awesome is that? <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. And it's so true. If somebody wants a life and business coach, like what, like where do they start from? How does somebody know that they're ready or how do you even decide if somebody's ready to work with you? Yeah. So one is you, you'll probably never feel ready. So I would say if there's a curiosity around, well, what is a life coach and what exactly do they do? You should reach out to one and you should start a conversation because it's not a thing where you feel hundred percent ready because there's this part of our brain that really wants to stay safe. And by staying safe, I mean, doesn't want to get uncomfortable, right? So coaching personal growth oftentimes is uncomfortable. The growth is in the uncomfortable. It's in the, it's in the crying. It's in the, you know, getting vulnerable. Yeah, it's in the ugly. Ooh, I've grown a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you, are, right? you said, I feel better once I got through that. So we need those moments. And that's what coaches provide us is those moments. But there's a part of our brain that doesn't want those moments that thinks, oh my goodness, if I cry in front of people, I'm going to die. That's not true, but that's what the brain experiences. So the brain's going to try to keep you from moving things forward. But I would say, you know, starting with asking people around you, do you guys know a good life coach? There's so many out there now. Like when I started 15 years ago, people didn't know what a life coach was. Most people were like, what do you do again? Especially people in my family. They thought I was crazy. Now there's more coaches out there. So looking up, you know, even your, I would start with your own circle, like your Instagram following, your, you know, Facebook page, people that you know, but then reaching out to somebody and having a conversation with them about what's going on in your life. And then seeing if you're a good match with someone that understands your situation, your history. I really like working with women where they feel, I fully get their their experience, right? I understand the culture. I understand being bicultural. I understand um, a lot of the ups and downs that we go through as professional women, even, or as moms, or as, you know, I speak all these different languages. And I don't mean like Spanish and English, right? I mean like these languages of trying to fit in or trying to be successful and not really having a clear path as to how to do that. So I can help women through, through that process. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I think people need to understand, like I actually through my circle have no several life coaches, but you have to know where, you know, you have to have that connection, right? Just because you know somebody who's a life coach, does that mean that they're the greatest fit for you? You just have to feel it out. At least that's how I go. I go by like my instinct, by my gut. Because I've learned at this point, if I go against my gut, I usually regret it. <laughs> so I just kind of go by like that feeling. Are there exercises that people can start with to help shift their mindset? Absolutely. So there's a couple of things. And this is what I specialize in is like little simple techniques that you can do every single day that will help shift you into whatever it is you want to create. So one simple tool that I use a lot is ask yourself, what part of me do I need to access today? Meaning what part of me do I need to bring to the forefront? So for instance, if you are going to be doing a live with someone and you want to be your courageous self, right? Feel that courage. Or maybe in another moment, you need to access patience. You need to bring patience forward. So you've got to ask yourself, what's the mindset I want to be in today? What, what do I need to bring forward? Maybe it's the loving version of you, right? Or maybe it's the version of you that says no to things and creates boundaries for your time, right? We have different versions of us that live inside of us. So question number one is, what do I need to access 
for myself today, right? For a particular situation. If it's confident Wendy, great. Okay, I need to bring out confident Wendy. Second question, when's the last time I felt confident? I close my eyes and I remember the feeling and I actually call it the remember the feeling exercise of the last time I felt really confident. And there was maybe something that happened, an incident, maybe somebody said something really positive to me and I was like, yeah, and I owned it, right? And anyone can do this with anything, by the way. Last time I felt really courageous, last time I felt really loving, last time I felt really vulnerable, last time I felt really um, patient, whatever it is. And then you connect with that feeling. And as you're connecting with that feeling, that feeling comes back up. It almost bubbles back up in your body. And that version of you comes to the top, comes to the forefront. So it's easier for me then to step into that confident Wendy. So I relive that moment. I connect with that person, that version of me, and then I bring her to the forefront. So then when I go into whatever it is, the job interview, right? I'm in confident Wendy. And that's confident Wendy is going to get the result. Yeah. That's the version of me that's going to get the result. So that's a simple mind tool or I, I call them sometimes Wendy brain hacks, like a way to hack <laughs> brain into this new way of thinking. Yeah, that, that is valuable. Yeah, and I practice a lot of that in my coaching and in my webinars and trainings and all that. You are the mom of three kids, twins too as well. How do you use your knowledge as a mom raising three, you know, coming from a community of color that... How does that come into play with what you do, who you are, and who they are as a mom? How do you like bring all of those things together? How do I access all the different parts of me? Yeah, because you're a coach, you're a mom, you're, and then you're right, like, but, and obviously all three kids, even when they're twins, they're all their own individual people. How do you bring all of that together to raise confident kids? Yes. Well, I think um, at the core of my belief in motherhood is that your children are always watching you. So the best thing you can do for your kids is to be the best version of yourself, first and foremost. (laughs) So if mommy is happy and confident, more likely that I'm going to raise confident and happy kids. Even if I'm not directly trying to build their confidence, if I'm just being me, because they see mommy taking time for herself, or they see mommy being really happy doing the work that I'm doing. That's the best thing I can do for my kids is really step into owning my gifts and being an example for them, right? Of someone who stepped into, yes, this was, I mean, this is all a risk, right? Take running a business, uh, running it from home and managing my kids at the same time, right? And learning how to do it. And you know, that great book, everything's figure outable, right? You just figure it out. You do, you just figure it out. So the twins have been my biggest lesson. Becoming a mom was a big lesson also, I mean, with my first daughter. But when the twins came along, I was like, oh no, this is a new game. Because we went from a family of three to a family of five. And I had also had the experience of mothering one child, which is very different from mothering two children at the same time. Yeah. So I was trying to have the same experience that I had had with my one daughter and how we had bonded. And I was trying to have that same experience with the twins. And it was just different. I, I wasn't going to hold them as much because there's two of them. I wasn't going to nur- you know, breastfeed them for as long because I ran out of milk and there, because there was two of them and they're each individual. And so I wasn't going to meet their needs individually the same way I had done with my daughter. 
if she needed something, I would go get it for her. With the twins, you know, one needs a nap, the other one slept for two hours already. What am I, what am I gonna do? One of them's gonna have to give up their needs and just be like, sorry, kid, you just gotta roll with the punches. <laughs> you don't get a nap today because your sister woke up in the middle of her nap and now, sorry, you know? Yeah. So I would try to meet their needs as much as possible. So lessons learned, I think for me is, one, get help. You need help. It takes a village. Absolutely. It takes a village. So my husband's super supportive and hands-on, and he's been more hands-on with the twins, I think, even than I have after their first year. He took over bath time. He took over bedtime. He took over a lot of things. Um, so my husband's really supportive. My mom, through the years, except now with the whole COVID thing, she's not at our house. But when she was here, you know, helped so much. And then getting nannies and babysitters and all that, it takes a tribe. It takes help. So not being fearful to ask for help. And I think as Latina moms, oftentimes we think we have to do it all. We, we have to be the main giver of all the care. And I shifted that idea into more of a management role. <laughs> I have to manage the household and manage the care of the kids. That doesn't mean I have to be the one making the lunch or the one, you know, uh, feeding them or, you know. which is a hard thing. I think for a lot of mothers to, to be able to do, what do you think if you could leave, if you impart your kids with any wisdom to take with them every single day of their lives, what would that be? I can impart in them any wisdom to take with them in their day-to-day lives to trust their instinct. I think trust their instinct and follow their heart, follow what makes them happy. That's the most important thing. You only have a certain amount of days on this earth. I'd rather you have lived it and maybe even have lived it and made some big mistakes. That's okay. I'd rather you've lived it than have stayed playing safe, which oftentimes means playing smaller. As a coach, I have this other side of this awareness around the value of risking and failing and (laughs) messing up in life. It's so valuable. And so many moms want to keep their kids safe. Just safe, safe, safe. And yeah, for me, I'm like, well, you're going to have to figure some stuff out. I'm so glad that I've been on the journey that I have, that I'm now in my 40s and have done the things that I did and took risks and didn't listen always to people telling me, well, you have to go down this one path or this other path. So yeah, I would tell them, trust your instinct and follow your heart, follow uh, what's really calling to you. I love that. Is there anything like that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure that is said before we head into the the tail end of our interview. Yeah. I just want to share with everybody that, you know, the value of really having coaches in your life, every successful person has had a coach, you know, Oprah had a coach, (laughs) um, CEOs and, and the executives, and especially as women and women of color, We need as much support as we can get. And because everything starts with our thoughts, you need someone helping you to manage your thoughts. Just like you need a personal trainer to help you manage your weight or your body or your, you know, you need somebody to help you manage your thoughts. Things will be easier. Things will slow faster. You will reach your goals faster if you have somebody who helps you manage your thoughts. And then lastly, anything is possible. We are really living in the era of complete and total possibility. I mean, a lot of things have shocked us with COVID-19, right? Things that we never thought would happen have happened. So that statement, things 
a lot of things we thought would never have happened have happened also works to empower us because that also means anything is possible in both directions, not just negatively, but that also means, oh, anything is possible. I could make a million dollars next year doing what I love. Anything is possible. I could meet the man of my dreams next month. Anything is possible. (laughs) I could have the child that I've always wanted before next year. Anything is possible. And to stay in that space, at least live in that space a little bit of the time, that space of complete and total possibility, expansion, right? To live in that space of expansion. Yeah. I love what you said when you said everybody has to have a coach, because even if like for someone who I have not had a formal like business life coach, but I grew up playing sports and it's always, it is about mindset. It starts from then. And I honestly, I don't think I've ever connected that to literally this moment. So that might sound really weird, but it's like, you have coaches, like you can do it. You can do like, they're constantly telling you, like I played softball and I was a cheerleader. I'm, I'm a very much a girly tomboy that still stands to this day. I am a self-proclaimed girly tomboy, but it was like, you can do it, dig harder, dig deeper. You, you have the skills, you have this, you have that. Like, I'm sure there are people who've never had that positive, like any sort of positivity in their life. And that God, like that just breaks my heart. And there's sometimes there are things that we don't even realize that where we've had the encouragement, we've had a quote unquote coach in some capacity along our journey. Why does that need to stop when we're adults? Right? Exactly. When the goals get bigger, exactly. The, the what's at stake gets bigger, right? When we're running out of time now. I mean, when you're 10 years old and you have a coach, yes, they're empowering you. They're inspiring you. They're teaching you these life lessons, right? When you're 33 <laughs> and you have a coach, the result- oh, Do you think I'm 33? Oh, so <laughs> Yes, yes. Girl, I, think, I don't know. You could be 23. I really don't know. <laughs> I just think 33 is a good year. It's a good year for me. Um, yeah, the, the goals are, are different and they're so much more powerful. For me, it was like, have a baby. Those are my goals. Like, those are huge goals that, that I had to work on that didn't necessarily come easily. Yeah. So I want to, ma- I will definitely make sure that these are in the show notes. I know you sent them to me, but if people want to reach you, like website, social, how do they do that? Absolutely. So you can... Follow me on Instagram at wendyamara.com. No, I'm sorry. That's my website. <laughs> Go to my website, wendyamara.com. There's always updated information there. You can follow me on Instagram at wendyamara. Everything is basically wendyamara, yeah. And then you can follow me on Facebook at Wendy Estevez, hashtag Amara. Or- Ooh, she got her Estevez in there. Yes, I didn't give up my Estevez on, on Facebook, on my personal Facebook anyways. I like the hyphenated last name. So it's hyphenated, Estevez Amara. And I do have an event coming up, which I would love to have all of your listeners join us. Yes. yes. So there is a free webinar I'm doing called Manifesting During Uncertainty, where I teach a lot of these little brain hacks on how to get your mind set in the right place to manifest, because you can manifest even right now, even in the midst of, in fact, it's a good time to manifest. Right. Your home, things have slowed down a little bit. You can really get in touch with that. And nobody, well, I mean, many places still, people aren't going that many places. I mean, you kept the time. Yes, yes, exactly. You have the time. Yeah. And that's May 17th. It's called Manifesting During Uncertainty, How to Find Your Inner Resiliency. And it's from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's a free 
training. We're going to do some interactive stuff. It's not just you sitting there listening to me talk for four hours. <laughs> we play a lot of games and, uh, and I teach you some amazing stuff about yourself. Awesome. Yeah. So now we're going to go into the part of the show where I ask everybody pretty much the same questions. So we're going to start with what do you wish you would have known when you started out and started out can be what you feel like when you, whether it's starting out in this business, whether it's starting out in college, whatever that means to you, what do you wish you had known when you started out? I wish I wouldn't have paid as much attention to what other people thought and paid more attention to my thoughts. So I think what I wish I would have known is my voice matters the most. Well, oh my gosh, that's so true. So true. What are you curious about right now? I'm curious about the wine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm doing my job. Yes, you are. I am. I was like, like you first got on here, I didn't have my bottle, right? And you were like, are you going to drink wine? And I'm like, okay, yes, yes. And then I've forgotten that, that I have this love of wine, which I do. When I lived in Spain, I drank a lot of wine. We drank every day and we tried wine from all different regions. And I started this love affair with wine. And then, you know, trying to be a responsible mom, I've limited the wine <laughs> to only after the kids are asleep. But now I'm feeling inspired. I'm like, oh, I would take a class. Like if you taught a class, Jessica, on like different wines from different regions, I would be in that class. I would want to know. I would like. That is the goal. But, you know, I'm still learning too, but that's definitely a goal. Um, what is your favorite word? You asked me this in the notes and I didn't I even think about, oh, yes, I remember. Passion. Yes. Passion is my favorite word. Yes. Because it's such a powerful word, right? And I think as Latinas, especially, we're super passionate, but also just passion. I tend to attract passionate people. You have to really love what you do. That's the reason people come to me. They have some love for something and they're not doing it or they're not doing it at the level of which they would want to do it at. Yeah. I'm like, let me help you live your passion and make money. <laughs> yes, girl. We're talking after. Yeah. Uh, what is a dream that scares you? Ooh, a dream that scares me is hiring an entire staff of coaches who do the majority of, of the coaching for me and I just manage. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Right? Wouldn't that be beautiful? But yeah. I love coaching. So it scares me a little bit because I'm in my business, but I want to work on my business. And I do think now's the time to start moving into that space because there are so many coaches out there. And, you know, one of the unique things about me is I've been in the industry for so long and I've worked with some, some amazing gurus, right? I've worked with some really top notch coaches. So I have this level of experience. I've been around for 15 years, but most of the time I've been a word of mouth coach. So if you go to my Instagram, it doesn't look like I've been around for 15 years, right? It looks like she's brand new. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, if you have not become part of the Amigas community with We All Grow Latina, you are missing out because this is how we connected. And I am, I could not be more grateful for that community because everything that's happened throughout this time, that's what's and I've said it before, and I always get emotional when we talk about it. Like, it's come to the point, it's hilarious. It's come to the point when I'm on one of the Zoom calls, the first thing everybody, like, from somebody from We All Grow is like, Jessica, our resident extrovert, how are you doing? Are you okay this week? How's everything going? Like, I get the call outs, and I'm like, damn, thank you so much. Like, it's like one of those, like, oh, shit. I'm like, like 
<laughs> I really made it known. I need human interaction. But at the same time, and people are wanting to give it to you, girl. Yeah, people are wanting to check in on you. Yeah. So if I go, so there's this is going to be like a two-parter because you grew up in San Valley, but now you live in Santa Clarita. So if I'm in Sun Valley and I'm and you're like, hey, Jessica, I'm in Sun Valley, let's meet in Sun Valley. Where are we going to eat and what are we eating? Oh my God, we're going to Daniel's Tacos, Daniel's Tacos, which is like a corner little taco. It's not, it's not, it doesn't even have seating, girl. It has like two tables, all right? That's it. <laughs> so you got to scan and eat. It's on the corner. It's next to what my grandma used to call El Chino. El Chino is the little market because the Chinese guy worked there. <laughs> I was like, I knew, I knew what it was. <laughs> it was like, let's go to El Chino, my grandma would say, and we would, we would walk to the liquor store. And it's a liquor store that is right next to Daniel's Tacos. Really good tacos, girl. But it's like on the corner of like Violin and like it's some, you know, random corner. It's not even a restaurant. It's literally like a taco truck, but they're there permanently. You yeah. know what I mean? It looks okay. Like so now if I go to Santa Clarita, same question. Where are we going and what am I eating? So in Santa Clarita, closest to me, I always think of like closest to me places we could go. Mom can cook which is a Thai food restaurant. Wait, that's the name of the place? The name I love of Thai food. Mom, this is really good Thai food. I love Thai food because, and then I tell them when they always ask the spicy level, I'm like, I'm Mexican. I want, like, I don't want the white person hot. I want real hot. So I'm the opposite of you. I, I don't <laughs> like spice. I'm the white girl version in that. Yes, I am. Uh, but it's really good Thai food. Amazing Thai food. It's literally, the restaurant is called Mom Can Cook. You can look it up. It's also kind of a hole in the wall, but it's a restaurant. Like you can sit, you can sit and eat in it. It's in Canyon Country. Great Thai food, like just amazing. Their pineapple fried rice, I love. There's a couple other things that I really love there too. So that's where we would go. We would go to Mom Kid Cook. Yes. Okay, well, we will go there once we're able to like get out of our houses and actually socialize again. Final question, because we start with wine and we end with wine. Favorite Red, I know you said red, but I would say red, white, rosé, and what, do you have a specific type of wine that you like within that? Oh my God, this is a tough question. Uh, okay, so I'm, I'm a red girl, like I said, right? So I actually love Merlots. I know that sounds weird, but Merlots and Cabs, I'm, I'm a Cab girl too. So I love Cabernets. I love um, Coppola. Coppola has a great I like Coppola too. Like Coppola too? The okay. director's cut PR yes. is my favorite one of theirs. Okay, I like the director's cut, but they have a great um, Cabernet. Their Cabernet. I'm trying to yeah. remember what the name of it is. Yeah, but the Coppola, Francis Coppola Cabernet. I love. I love. Yes. Um, I also love Firestone. Love their wines. Um, was a member of their winery for a little while because I visited their winery a couple of years ago. And then pre pre kids when it was just me and my husband. And we would take trips to wineries, you know, and drink and all that great stuff. You know. So I love the Firestone wines also. Wendy, I have had such a pleasure talking to you. It's been so awesome. I'm so happy. Like I said, I, from the moment, not like from the moment I, we quote unquote met because we virtually met. Online, right? Yeah. Yeah. I knew I wanted you on there, but that moment where I just completely lost my mind on our call, on that Zoom call. I was just like, I need to have her on there now. And there was, there's just something about you that just draws me in. And I know that there's probably so many other people that are going to be very attracted to just the energy that you give and the person that you are. 
that I had to have you on like ASAP. Yes, thank you so much for asking so quickly. And I was like, yes, let me <laughs> jump on. I love wine. I love cheese, man. So yeah. I was like, I'm in, I'm in. I just need the name. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what she's going to ask me, but I'm good. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, there you go. So thank you so much. And I will make sure to include everything in the show notes, everybody. And hopefully you'll be able to join for her free um, coaching session. So until next time, mi gente. Yes, thank you guys. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you for the wine and the cheese man. Could you feel Wendy's energy coming through? Obviously, I was the one who did the interview so I could feel it. But as I was reviewing the interview again, I could totally feel her energy and the sincerity come through. And I hope you could feel that too. I'm so glad she was able to share a few exercises that we could take away and use immediately. I would love to hear if you use those techniques and share if if they worked for you. Also, I will be making sure to include the link to the workshop that Wendy discussed in the show notes. So if you wanted to join for that, you can go ahead and do that there. Do you have a story that needs to be told or know someone who does? Then please reach out to me via my social media channels at The Wine and Cheese Mate on Instagram, at The Wine and Cheese Mate Podcast on Facebook and LinkedIn because I want to hear your story. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheese Mate, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are always appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. So until next time, mi gente, saludos.